Matthew chapter 14. If you'd like to stand, we're going to read uh, our scripture together, and then we'll pray, and uh, we'll, we'll dig into this, okay? Verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Father, we ask for your special grace this morning to understand this passage. We ask, Father, that you would bring us genuine repentance. Father, we... We pray earnestly, God, that there would not be one person in this room, not one person in our other services who would, who would do what Herod did, which is to ignore your word, to fail to repent. Father, we ask that you would give us tender hearts, tender hearts that respond quickly when you convict us and that grab hold of Jesus, our Savior. Father, we ask that you would do that in us today. Please, God, meet us here today. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. What we're going to do today in Matthew chapter 14, you may be seated, is we are going to contrast these two very different men. Okay? It would be, it would be incredibly hard to find two more different people than Herod and John the Baptist. Okay? And so what we're going to try to do is, is kind of compare these two, contrast these two in some specific spiritual areas. Now, before we do that, let's introduce the two of them, okay? John, you probably know, uh, John the Baptist. Now, his last name is not Baptist. However, the guy coming Tuesday, his name is Baptist. His last name is Baptist. Whenever he was converted, they give you a new name whenever you become a Christian from a Hindu. And so uh, that's his new name is Solomon John Baptist. And so, but this, this John, his last name is not Baptist. That is his ministry. That is his mission. In other words, this John was known as the baptizer, okay? So, so this John is the one that the Old Testament prophesied would come, he would be a prophetic Elijah type of figure, and he would come and he would call the people of God to repentance, and then he would point to the Messiah. He would be the forerunner. He would pave the way for the Messiah. And so that's exactly the ministry of John the Baptist. The ministry of John the Baptist was to call people to repent, to call Israel to repent, and then to point to Jesus the Savior. Now, Who's the other guy? Well, the other guy is Herod, and to, to distinguish him from other Herods in the Bible, he is Herod Antipas, okay? 
He's a governor, ruler. I think he would like for, for you to call him a king, probably. In his day, anyway, he would have. He's actually not. So, so in this time period, the Roman Empire has taken over everything, okay? But the, what they do is when they take over a land, they bring in kind of a pseudo-king, a pseudo-ruler, governor, in this case, a couple of them, and then they govern the Roman territories. And so that's who Herod is, okay? This guy comes from a long legacy. He's got, he's got a horrible legacy, actually. Uh, a, lot of, a big legacy of powerful men, but a, but a legacy of men who have rejected God. So his dad was Herod the Great, okay? And you've probably heard of him in the Bible because when Jesus was born, he is the ruler who the wise men came to and said, hey, we saw the star. We know that the king, the next king, the king who will reign forever, we've read about him in the scriptures. We know he was born. And when Herod finds that out, he has all the babies in Bethlehem in that area slaughtered so that he can try to kill the next king, all right? That's this guy's dad. How would you like to have a dad like that, a, da- a baby-killing dad? That, so that's Herod Antipas' dad is Herod the Great, all right? Now, this Herod, okay, and, and, and Jesus, their story intersects right here in Matthew chapter 14. In verse 1, Herod hears about the ministry of Jesus, okay? So he hears about Jesus' authority and his rule and his miraculous reign over death and disease and demons and debts and and disasters. He hears about the miracles, the resurrections, the healings. He hears all of that about Jesus. And you know what he does? He concludes that John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. Now, why, why would Herod think that, okay? That's exactly what he thinks. You can read that there in, in the first couple of verses. He says, this is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. Why, why would Herod think that? Did John say that he was going to rise from the dead? No, he did not. Did the scriptures say John would rise from the dead? No, they do not. Did anybody say anything about resurrection? No, nobody did. The reason that Herod believes this is because he is full of guilt, okay? He's full of guilt. He, he was the one who murdered John the Baptist. He was the one that had him beheaded in prison. And Herod feels a ton of guilt and paranoia and wrath. He has a guilty conscience. He is haunted by what, what he knows are the sins of his past. Okay? Now, Herod's not a godly man. He, he is not a man who respects the word. He's not a man who respects prophets. But Herod knew that there was something about John. And Herod feared John. He fears the wrath of God. And, and here's what I've found about many, many people in our world. Many people in our world live with what I would call a low-grade fever of guilt. Okay, So they live just with kind of this residual, deep-seated Feelings of guilt for things that they have done, okay? Now, as a believer, what, what is our hope? Our hope is that we can be forgiven of our sins, like for real, like washed away, right? Like they're, they're, God takes them as far as the east is from the west. When you come to Jesus in the gospel, you can be freed of your guilt. There, there's a great example of that in a man named Paul, okay, in the Bible. Paul was a man who had done similar horrific things. He actually had killed some of God's God's men, some of God's servants. So Stephen is, is probably the most famous example of that. Paul had been a part of having Stephen murdered, okay? But yet Paul meets Jesus. He believes the gospel. He receives the forgiveness of God. He is a transforming change man, and he, he rises above his guilt. He, he, he gets out of his guilt, okay? Herod did not know that kind of 
deliverance. And so Herod kind of walks around with this low-grade guilt. And again, I, I've seen lots of people that have that very same thing today. A lot of times, you, you, you don't know it until, until something triggers it, right? So they'll, they'll, they'll hear a sermon, They'll, uh, they'll, they'll, have, they'll be in a conversation, maybe in a small group, and some issue gets brought up, some kind of touchy area in their life, and all of a sudden there's a response of anger, there's a response of, of, of depression, there's a response of, of shame, there's a withdrawal, there, there's some kind of response, and it's because there's this, there's this inside of them, this guilt, this, this kind of residual feeling sorrow for the sins of their past, feeling like even a lot of times people, this will come out when people feel like bad things have happened to them because of their past. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a conversation with somebody and, and, and something bad happened to them. They had a tragedy, they've had a sickness, they had a death in their family. And a lot of times in the conversation will come out, well, I'm, this is probably my punishment for, you know, and, and, and it's, they're looking back to their past and they've got this kind of guilt that they can't get rid of. Okay, Herod is full of that, right? And so when, whenever he sees the ministry of Jesus and, and he hears about this guy who is raising the dead and healing the leper and preaching the kingdom of God, he's like, oh no. Oh no, John is back. John, John, who I had beheaded, has been raised from the dead, okay? So that's how these two guys intersect. Now, the rest of the passage is a flashback. You've watched a movie before, right? When, when they kind of show a scene and then they flash back and give you the long backstory. That's what happens here in, John, in Matthew 14 is Herod hears about Jesus and, and he thinks it's John the Baptist raised from the dead. And then the author gives us why he thinks that, okay? He gives the story of, of, of how John and Herod and their interaction. And so what I'd like to do with the rest of our time is I want us to bring out some contrast because these two guys are really different guys and, and I think they, 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 they have some cool contrasts, okay? So that's what we're gonna do with the rest of our time. Number one, okay? There's a contrast between John who spoke the truth no matter what it cost him personally, Okay? So on the one end, you've got John who spoke the truth, the truth of God's word, no matter what it cost him. And then here in just a minute, we're going to look at Herod, who did everything he could to silence the truth. Okay, so let's first of all look at John. So John is a guy who spoke the truth no matter what it cost him. Now, what truth is he speaking? His message was pretty simple. It was, you're a sinner and you need to repent, okay? Because there's a Savior coming. That's John's message. And John was incredibly faithful in proclaiming that message. To, to repent means you have a change of mind, okay? This happened to me, and uh, well, actually, it happens to me about every day, yeah? okay? And about every day, I'm repenting of something, okay? But the first time I repented, well, it was in May of 1990, long, long time ago, when I came to see the glory of Jesus, and I came to change my mind about God, change my mind about my own sin and my own life, which had a change of heart, which caused a change of life, and a, a radical change of life. That's what it means to repent. And so John is preaching this gospel of repentance, and John is incredibly faithful in that, no matter who's in the room. You know, what, what a lot of us struggle is, a lot of us will be bold, maybe back there in Sunday school, okay? Um, don't be paranoid. The door's going to open and close several times during the It's just the wind, okay? John the Baptist is not coming back from the dead, all right? There'll also be a vibration over in that corner. It's not Ed, it's actually the building, okay? We had, we had this problem in first service this morning. We had people, you know, uh, anyway. All right, so where was I? Um, I don't even remember. Okay, John was incredibly bold, all right? He was incredibly bold in, in the proclamation of the gospel. So here, here's, what, here's what you have. You have a lot of people who, who will be bold in a Sunday school setting, 
But man, you, you get them around some people maybe who are powerful, who are influential, maybe their boss, maybe their, their father, mother, relatives, brothers, sisters, and all of a sudden they become very timid about the gospel. That was not John. John was equally bold in whatever setting he might find himself. There's some cool, cool stories about John. In Matthew chapter 3, We've already gone through this, but he was out in the wilderness baptizing, right? So he had lots of people coming to him and being baptized. And here comes the pre- preeminent religious leaders of his day, right? Here come the Pharisees in all their pomp and glory, and they're kind of coming to check this guy out. So here comes the most important religious people of, 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 of John's day. And when John sees them, do you remember how he dresses them? He says, you bunch of snakes, why are you guys here? Yeah, he calls them a brood of vipers, right? Because they were not genuine in their repentance, right? And, and so, so John was the kind of guy that he would speak God's truth no matter who was in the room. In, in Luke 3.12, it tells us that a bunch of tax collectors came to John, right? And now tax collectors were pretty much some of the richest people in the region, right? So you got, you got a bunch of wealthy people. You know what John tells them? He says, guys, if you truly repent, Here's what's going to happen. You're going to change the way you spend your money. You're going to change the way you collect money. You're going to change the way you cheat people. You're you're not going to cheat people anymore. In other words, he goes right to the heart of of their lives. In John 3, uh, 14, he had some soldiers who came to him. And and these soldiers come to him and he says, all right, guys, if you repent, then you're going to change the way you treat people. You're going to change the way you handle your power over other people. So, So John was a guy who was incredibly bold in his proclamation of the gospel, particularly calling people to repent. He was serious and specific about repentance. And John, even though, even though it got him killed, he would not keep silent even about Herod, the ruler of his land, about Herod's sin. He could have used excuses. He could have said, you know, when you come before a king, when you come before a, you know, uh, I read a story this week about um, a guy who worked in the White House through several administrations, and he was telling the story about how everybody in the waiting room, you know, all these important people that would come to see the president, everybody in the waiting room would be talking about, well, I'm going to tell him about this, and I'm going to let him know about this. I'm going to tell him that we're not happy with this policy. He said, once they got in there, everybody got, he said, all the lions turned to lambs, you know, and, and, and John was not that way, okay? He was not that way. It, wouldn't ma- it didn't matter if he was before the common people, or if he was before kings, John spoke the gospel of repentance. It would be interesting to me to know for certain how these guys first met, okay? Uh, I, 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 it's not in the scriptures, but here is my, I think, pretty proven theory. I believe that Herod called John to the palace, and the two met personally, okay? Now, the reason I'm, I believe that is because that's how Jesus and Herod met. Okay, that was a common thing. If somebody was creating some kind of disturbance or something in the land, then you would be brought before the king to kind of give testimony on this. Um, And also it would be really odd for the king to go out into the wilderness, right? So where's John's ministry? It was out in the wilderness. And so it just seems odd to me that Herod would travel out there. You know, I think more likely is he went and got John and John appeared before Herod. We know that he appeared before Herodias too because she got so angry. So I I believe he was probably brought into the palace. And we know that they were face to face because look at verse 4, okay? So Matthew 14, 4 says this, it says, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. All right, so this is not a situation where, like, John is bad-mouthing Herod, you know, from afar. Like, John's in the wilderness, and Herod's in the palace, and he's, he's telling all the crowd, you know, well, that Herod, he shouldn't have that, you know. No, no, no. 
John actually spoke this to Herod himself. And so the, guy, the, the two guys met face to face. And when they did, John confronted Herod about his personal sin and his personal need to repent. Now, what was the sin that John confronted Herod on? Okay, now this gets real like, um, what, what's the Jerry Springer-ish, okay, here? I don't know, hopefully you don't watch that, but if you're familiar with that show. Um, so it gets really weird, all right? So try to follow this, all right? So this lady named Herodias, she marries her half-uncle, okay, who is Herod Philip, okay? Not this guy. This guy's brother, okay? So Herodias marries her half-uncle, Herod Philip, okay, who is this guy's brother, all right? They have a daughter together. Her name is Salome. She's the dancer in this, this story, okay? Now, Herod Antipas, who's the Herod in our story, he goes to visit his brother, all right? He's married, by the way. He's married to uh, Aretas, uh, who is like the princess of this neighboring kind of kingdom. I don't remember where it was. It's where Petra is. Anyway, so, so he goes to visit his brother, okay? Think Thanksgiving, all right? You know, like some kind of holiday, some kind of... He goes to visit his brother. While he's there, he meets his brother's wife, Herodias, and I don't know, you fill in the blank. Bad things happen, right? And there is an affair. There's adultery. Uh, there's divorce. They both divorce their, their, their spouses, and then they marry. And so, basically, this Herod marries his brother's wife, okay? So what is the specific sin John is confronting here? I don't know, you take your pick. Like, there's lots of them, isn't there? You know, <laughs> immorality, adultery, divorce, uh, remarriage to your brother's wife, which is condemned in Leviticus 18, 16, and 2021 20, as incest. Uh, so you, you just take your pick, but it's bad, right? Now, what's interesting is that even though Herod is confronted by John, he's, he still knows that John is a godly man. Now, I'm going to read you a verse that's really confusing, and then I'm going to explain it. And actually, I, I understand the verse completely because I lived the verse, okay? So, so in Mark chapter 6, verse 20, it, it says this about John the Baptist and Herod. I'm going to read verse 19 too. And Herodias had a grudge against him, John, and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. Now look at verse 20. For Herod feared John. Okay, so Herod fears John, knowing that he's a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. Okay, but do you know how he kept him safe? He put him in prison, okay? So he fears him, but he put him in prison, okay? He thinks he's a righteous and holy man, but he won't let him out of prison. And then it says the next phrase, when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed and yet heard him gladly, okay? So what does Herod think of John the Baptist? Well, he hates him and respects him, okay? He uh, wants to shut him up and he wants to hear him, okay? He has this weird, conflicted relationship with John the Baptist. Now, I understand that perfectly because I had that kind of relationship with my church growing up. Um, before I became a Christian, I had that exact kind of relationship. I very much respected my church. I very much respected the Bible. If you would have asked me, is the Bible the word of God? I would have said yes, okay? If you would have asked me, is Jesus the Savior? I would have said absolutely, okay? So I had this kind of respect for the Bible and for the church and for God. But yet at the same time, it made me really mad when anybody confronted me on sin. <laughs> okay? It made me mad when people confronted me with verses out of the Bible that hit my sin. All right, So, so I completely understand Herod because I was that guy, right? I, I remember uh, at one time, 
somewhere around junior, senior in high school, um, I was somewhere where I was not supposed to be, okay? And one of my mother's friends saw, thought she saw me, thought, thought she saw my car there. She did see me, okay? But, I, but she, you know, she was pretty sure is the way she articulated to my mother. My mother confronted me about that. And man, I just, I blew a gasket. I threw this big teenage temper tantrum, okay, about how dare that woman accuse me. She, she, she professes to be a godly woman. How dare she think that I was there? You know, I, I, I was there. I was completely guilty, okay? And I was like, I'm not going back to that church. That bunch of hypocrites, you know. I mean, I, I played the whole thing up. I was really good. I, you know, you, you've met folks like that, right? That was me. Right? So on the one hand, I like respected the Bible. I, I really felt Jesus was God. But the other, on the other hand, man, when something confronted my personal sin, oh, it made me really hot. That's Herod. That's Herod. He, he's the exact same way. So John's preaching repentance. Herod is convicted. And yet Herod, instead of receiving repentance... He shuts down the messenger. How, how, does, how does Herod handle truth? So you got John on the one hand who speaks truth no matter what. You got Herod on the other hand who silences truth. You know, you know what I'm afraid of today? I'm afraid we are moving into a culture and society where truth is being silenced very slowly and very, very thoroughly. I believe we're moving into a society when a lot of us as Christians are going to almost be afraid to speak the truth because of the ramifications on our life. Okay? Now, John had the same kind of, actually worse, ramifications. But, but I just wonder, are there people today that are willing to tell the truth about sin, the truth about the wrath of God, even to powerful men, to influential men, to fathers, to mothers, to bosses, to coaches, to people who are in positions of authority? No matter what the cost. You remember a couple weeks ago? We were in, uh, it's actually been a couple months ago. We were in Matthew 10. And Jesus gave us this commission as his people. He said, have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed. Or hidden that will not be known. Verse 27. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Jesus gave us this clear commission that we are to be truth speakers. Okay? But here's, here's what our society says. Our society says... It is wrong for you to tell me something I'm doing is sin. All right? Now, let's, let's, let's stop. Let's hit the pause button. Do we, should we be rude? Never. Should, should we be a jerk? No. You know, should we be not loving? Never, okay? But listen, telling somebody that something is a sin, when it is a sin, when it's from the Scriptures, that's not rude or unloving. That, that's, that's actually something that's loving. See, what our society wants to do, we've entered into a society that they want a pick and choose. They want a buffet Christianity, okay? A buffet, you know what a buffet is, right? I bet you just had a buffet at Thanksgiving, didn't you? I, that's what we do. Like, like my mom never just makes like one, you know, turkey, mashed potatoes, green beans, and your pumpkin pie. You know, no, 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 no. We've got several meats. We've got a whole table of sides. We've got 12 pies, right? And if you're like me, like I want to go pick and choose, right? I actually want a sliver of all of them. I want an entire pie that's made up of 12 pies, right? That, that's kind of the way I like to work Thanksgiving, okay? There's a lot of people who want Christianity the same way. They're like, yes, I will take heaven. Yes, I will take a savior. Yes, I will take forgiveness. 
whoa, you better not say that about my life. That's not true. You mean the Bible says that about my anger? The Bible says that about my sexuality? The Bible says that about my unforgiveness? The Bible says that about my pride? Well, that is not true. It's always interesting. How do you know that's not true? I just say it is. See, we live in a society where that's okay. Where basically you can say, hey, my intellect is so big that I am able to grab pieces of the Bible and say, nope, that's not true. Yes, that is. No, that's not. Yes, that is. No, that's not. Essentially what you're doing is exactly what Herod is doing. You're silencing the word. That's what Herod did with John the Baptist. John confronted him on his life, the sin in his life. You know what Herod did? You won't say that again. I won't hear none of that. I'll put you in, I'm going to silence you. But then he's still interested in spiritual things. So he calls him out to hear him once in a while. But, but if John, if John hits, the, hits the sin button, he puts him back away. He silenced the truth. What I want you to see this morning is that it is a good thing to be convicted of your sin. Man, do you, do you believe that? It's a good thing to be convicted of your sin. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says this, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. You hear that? Godly grief. In other words, there's a type of grief. There's a type of sadness. There's a, there's a type of sorrow that is good. It's good for you. Like, you know why it's good for you? Because it brings you out of sin and to the Savior. And, and Paul says, you'll never regret that. And so we should not be afraid to listen to the truth. But instead of dealing with the truth about his sin, what Herod does is he silenced the truth. He puts him in prison, okay? Now, most people today can't put anybody else in prison, okay? Uh, yeah, actually, you can. We, we see this happening in India. When, here when Solomon gets here next week, he will tell us stories about people who did not want to hear the truth, and so they, they put people in prison, okay? In America, you usually can't do that. So you, you, know, you know the way people silence truth today? They, they end the relationship. That's probably the most common way. We have a button for this, don't we? You know? There's an unfriend button, right, on, on social media. Like, if you don't like what somebody said, like, if, if, if they spoke truth, the truth of God's word, and it convicted you, you know what you do? You're just like, hey, I can't put you in jail, but by golly, I can shut you up. I'll just unfriend you. Or I just won't invite you to Thanksgiving. Right? I'm just going to. I'm going to silence the truth. I'm going to brand you as ridiculous. I'm going to brand you as intolerant. I'm going to brand you as unloving. I'm going to brand you as, as, as believing a Bible that is, is not true. And my fear, my fear for our culture is that there's a lot of Christians that are just going to watch as people blissfully walk into hell. Guys, we need to hear about sin. You know why? Because the sting of sin leads me to the Savior. That's good for me. All right, so let's keep going. Uh, next contrast, next comparison, right? John the Baptist lived a life of denying himself while Herod was a man who is a slave to his passions. 
Okay, real quickly, John the Baptist, I think you already know this about him. Um, we're in, in Matthew 3, 1, it says, in those days, John came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So John is a guy who, sp- who spends his life basically in the wilderness, okay? Listen to his description. Oh, Oh, my little boy, he loves this uh, in the little Bible story book. It's got a picture of John, and he's got a big beard, and he's got honey dripping down it, and he's chewing on a grasshopper. And he, he really likes that part. Uh, verse 4 says, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Why does it tell us that? It, it, it doesn't tell us that to say, hey, this guy's kind of weird. He's got a weird palate. You know, he likes weird things to eat. No, it, basically, John is a guy who lives a simple life deprived of the comforts of this world. That, that's what he's trying to say. John was was a prophetic figure who, who basically denied himself the luxuries and comforts of this world, okay? Not, not saying that you should do that or we should, but, but he's a guy who, who basically lived a life of denying himself, okay? Now, the reason that's interesting is because Herod is a man who is a slave to his passions, okay? Herod, Herod's a ruler, and he's a king, and, and you would think he's a really powerful guy, but actually, he is completely controlled by his sinful desires. He is not a free man. One of the marks of a Christian is that we begin to put to death our sinful desires. That, that's, that's actually part of the Christian life. So, so whenever you get joined to Jesus and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, one of the things that happens is you begin to target desires in you that shouldn't be there. And by the power of the Holy Spirit and with the Word of God, you put them to death. So, so like Romans 8.13 it says, uh, if you live by, according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. What's earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So, so you see the Bible testifies that part of the Christian life is you put to death your sinful desires. Okay, Herod is a guy who is controlled by his sinful desires. And we're going to see that in some graphic ways. Let's, let's walk through them real quick, okay? Number one, Herod is a slave to his lust, okay? He has a wife, all right? In the, initially, he has a wife, okay? Her, I think her name was Aratus or something like that. But he goes and visits his brother's, brother's house, and he meets this Herodias. And what, what happens inside of him? He has desire for this woman, okay? Now, what should happen, okay? You know what God has given every person on earth? A conscience, Okay, a conscience, all right? A conscience is this mechanism inside you that says green light, red light, right? Good, bad, wrong, right, all right? But the problem is, is that if you're not a believer, if you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, that thing is broken, okay? It's defective, all right? And the more you resist truth, the Bible says the more it gets seared, the more it, uh, the more, the more it gets uh, defective, okay? It doesn't work rightly, all right? So Herod's at Thanksgiving, meets his brother's new wife, Herodias, is infatuated with her. He should have all kinds of red flags going up, right? But this guy can't do the right thing because he's a slave to his sinful desires. So what does he do? He does, he does what his sinful desires want. And he ends up divorcing his wife. He marries this woman, Herodias. Uh, a disaster in his family. Fast forward, Okay. Now he's got John in jail. Herodias wants John dead. She's nagging her husband to kill John, but he won't do it because he believes he's a holy and righteous man, even though he doesn't want to listen to the truth, okay? So he has a big birthday party for himself. Now Mark 6 tells us who's there. 
All the nobles, all the military commanders, and the leading men of the city. All right, so all the bigwigs are there. All the, all the powerful men are at Herod's birthday party. And Herodias brings in her daughter, her teenage daughter, to dance for these men. Now, we know two facts about this. She dances. We know three facts. She dances. Herod and the men are really pleased. So much so that Herod offers this gal whatever she wants up to half of his kingdom. Okay. Now, how, how do you look at that dance, okay? Now, if, you, if in your mind you're thinking, well, all these men were art critics, you know? They were, uh, they, were, they were lovers of the arts, and they had all gone to schools of dance. And so she got up there, and they all had their little scorecards out, and they're like, oh, wonderful leap. Oh, look at that pirouette, you know? I, probably not, right? What, what's the picture here? The picture here is a drunken, perverted group of men and a seductive teenage girl dancing for them. What you have here is a strip club, guys. And here's the thing about lacking self-control, okay? People who are slaves to their sinful desires, it always comes out in their words. Have you noticed that? Like if, if, you, if you have a hard time controlling, if you have a hard time putting to death things like anger, vengeance, lust, you, you know, you're going to say things that you shouldn't say. You're, you're going to make promises you shouldn't make. You're going to make comments that you shouldn't make. It's, the book of Proverbs tells us it, it is a result of lacking self-control in your life. And so what does Herod do? He's so pleased with this gal that in this moment of bravado, this moment of showing off for all of his drunk buddies, he promises this gal anything she wants up to half of his kingdom. This gal goes to her mother and says, what should I ask for? Her mother says, you're going to ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And that's what she asked for. It's really sad to me. This little phrase, verse 8, prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. Verse 9, and the king was sorry. You see that? I kind of picture that when she says it, his heart just drops. She's asking him to murder someone that he believes is a prophet. He doesn't want to listen to the prophet, but he believes he's a prophet. Okay, now, now again, he's the ruler. He ought to just say no, right? But he can't. You know why he can't? Because nobody ever says no to their idol. Have you noticed that? People don't say no to their idols. If you want to know what you're living for, just look for what you can't say no to. If you're living for money, what you'll find is that money will control your decisions. If you're living for power, what you'll find is that power will control your decisions. If you're living for, for the praise of people, what you'll notice is every decision you make will be made toward making yourself look good. And so literally, even though, even though Herod is haunted by this the rest of his life, he can't say no to this. You know why? Because it'll make him look bad. That's his God. That's his pride. His idol is exposed. He can't say no to his pride. He doesn't want to kill John. Herodias has been nagging at him to kill John, and he won't do it. But she's trapped him in a position where he can't say no to his sinful desires, his desire for pride. Do you see the contrast between these two guys? Isn't this amazing? John the Baptist will do the right thing. He will speak God's truth even if it means his death. Herod 
can't do the right thing, no matter what. Because he, he cares too much about what people think of him. So here's what happens. Herod's inability to say no to his sinful desire causes him to divorce, to commit adultery, to commit incest, and finally to commit murder. Friends, if, if, we, if we don't learn anything from this passage, what we learn is that sin is a wicked master. If sin is your master, it's going to control your life and it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring you to a huge mess. You, you know, I, what the devil always tempts us with with sin is that this is the path to happiness, right? I mean, I mean that, that's what, he's always like, gratify your desires, what, your simple desires, gratify them and that will make you happy. And all it ever does is bring misery. History tells us that Herod's first divorce to his wife caused a small war at which he lost most of his army and he would have lost his kingdom had not Rome stepped in. The Bible tells us that his marriage to this Herodias, his sister-in-law, brings this huge family mess in which his wife essentially controls him manipulatively and deceptively. Here's the saddest thing to me. When I look at this guy's story start to finish, what I see is it seems like when he met John the Baptist, he had a chance. Doesn't it seem like that to you? Doesn't it seem like that he had an opportunity to repent? I mean, here's what we know. We know that John spoke truth to him. We know that John spoke the gospel to him. We know that John actually even confronted him personally about the sin in his life. He wasn't hearing just this random sermon. They actually had a conversation. What do we know? Well, let me read it again. We know in verse 20 that Herod feared John. He knew that he was a righteous and holy man. He kept him safe until his pride got him. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, yet he heard him gladly. There was a window of opportunity for Herod. But here's what the Bible teaches us. Whenever you're convicted of your sin, whenever you hear the word of God and you're convicted and what you do with that, is to silence it. For John, it was put him in prison. For, for many people today, it's, hey, I'm not going to hear that again. Hey, I'm not going to receive that. I discount that. I don't believe that about the Bible. Bible says that about my life. Bible says that about what I'm doing. Nope. I don't believe that part of the Bible. You know what you do is you begin to callous your heart. And the sad thing is, is that Herod actually did meet Jesus. It comes years later, the night before Jesus' crucifixion. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's already been whipped. He's already been beaten. He's already had a crown of thorns pressed upon him. All of that's happening this night. And in a few hours, they're going to nail him to the cross. And in those last hours, Herod gets a chance to be face-to-face with Jesus. Here's what happens. Luke 23, verse 6. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean, talking about Jesus. When he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him, he sent Jesus, over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. What great fortune, huh? He's in Jerusalem the night of Jesus' crucifixion. And Pilate sends Jesus to him. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. For he had long desired to see him. 
because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. Verse 9. So he questioned him at some length. Just stop right there. He questioned him at some length. So what we know about this is we know that Jesus Christ, right before his crucifixion, was standing in front of Herod, and Herod questioned him, asked him question after question for some time. But notice the end of that verse. He made him no answer. It was too late. Herod's opportunity was over. This passage is, to me, an incredible warning about the danger of silencing the word of God about your own sin. See, you and I are going to be convicted about sin in our life. And we can go one of two ways. We can hear John the Baptist. What did he say? Repent. Repent. And when you're convicted about your sin, turn away from it. Change your mind about it and turn to Jesus who lived the perfect life and paid for your sin on the cross and will give you the power to overcome that sin, to be different, to be changed, to be new. Or you can go the other direction, Herod's Herod's direction, who said, "I, I won't hear that about my life. I'll shut you up no matter what. You won't say that again. And in the end, his opportunity was gone. If you have opportunity today, I urge you to repent. You know, repentance is is something that we do when we come to Jesus. I don't know about you guys, but repentance is something I do on a regular basis. In fact, I I, I live a life of repenting, a life of, of realizing when I've strayed away from my Savior hearing that conviction from the Word of God and from the Holy Spirit, and then responding, responding, responding. I don't ever want to come to a place in my life where I begin to silence that Word. That's a dangerous thing to do. So if you've heard the Word of God this morning, and we're going to pray here in just a second, I'm going to ask God to speak to you. I want you to be obedient to what God says. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, want to give just a little bit of time just for us to sit before you here as we, as we finish our service. And Father, we're asking that your Holy Spirit would, would move in our hearts. We're asking that your Holy Spirit would, would convict us of sin. Father, if there's sin, um, sin in, the, in the form of, of anger, if there's sin in the form of unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment, God, if there's sexual sin or sin in the form of pride or sin in the form of selfishness. God, we pray that you would, you would convict us of that. Or God, maybe it's, maybe it's disobedience. Maybe it's a Jonah type of sin where you've told us to do something and we've said no. God, I pray that you convict us of laziness, of, of not seeking you, of unbelief. And God, I pray that you would, would bring a turning in our life, a repenting in our life. God, draw us to yourself. Point our eyes to to you, our Savior. God, give us victory over our sin. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.